All right, everybody, welcome to the Deal Gen Podcast, where we talk to investors, entrepreneurs, and business titans about a wide range of topics and experiences. The Deal Gen Podcast is brought to you by Deal Gen Partners. Deal Gen Partners is the leading deal origination service on the market for private equity buyers. Deal Gen Partners combines their M&A and private equity experience with a proprietary method of multi-channel marketing services that they call the Bird Dog. This unique recipe generates transaction-ready deals at an unmatched pace and increases a private equity fund's chances of closing a deal by up to 10x. Reach out to DealGen Partners before you begin searching for your next investment. All right, Michael Ledecky, good to have you on the show, man. I'm really uh, excited to talk to you and, you know, get caught up here. Yeah, thanks Thanks for having me, Joe. It's been a long time coming. Yeah, no, I agree. Yeah. This is great, man. Well, look, we'll we'll kind of just dive right in. Obviously, um, you know, you and I know each other through um, our different lines of work, right? You know, you're looking to acquire a business, um, more of like a private equity search fund type of style. My job is obviously, you know, I'm working with multiple acquirers to go out and find them their next acquisition opportunity. So that's kind of how we got to know each other is just, you know, through uh, playing in the same field, basically. But I wanted to learn from you, you know, obviously, you're out there on the search um, for for an acquisition. What would you say has been kind of the most difficult part of getting, you know, an, an opportunity like like Claypath is off the ground? Um, just, you know, for someone who's not, I haven't done it personally, and for anybody out there who's listening and, you know, is thinking about maybe entering into that search fund world or, or purchasing a company, you know, talk to me about some of the things that have been, I guess, a little bit more difficult than maybe you had anticipated. Thanks, Joe. That's uh, that's a great question. Um, no, no shortage of you know interesting challenges when it comes to to raising a raising a fund and then going out and and getting in front of uh, sellers and intermediaries and uh, ginning up deal flow. I, I think the toughest thing for me and probably for anybody is just you know the preponderance of of choice out there, both in you know, the getting started part and, and deciding how you want to structure your fund and, and what you want that to look like. And then maybe even more so when you're actually when you're actually in it and you, you have a very open mandate and, and maybe a flexible investor base, uh, you can go in so many different directions from an industry perspective. And that's the one thing that I think I've been most challenged with, uh, maybe it's my own personality partly, maybe it's just the, the nature of, of the search. Um, I've, it's, 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 I, I think when I was looking at the search fund space from the outside, I was very convinced that you know, the industry focused approach was the way to go. And mm-hmm. I, I still believe in that to a certain extent, but I, I don't think I appreciated on the outside looking in just how hard it would be to to stay focused on an industry and continue to build on an industry. And yeah, you know, seven months in, I think I'm still looking to to get momentum in a single industry. And mm-hmm. I don't mm-hmm. know if that's necessarily a bad thing. I think there are there's more that I can do uh from that perspective. Um but um yeah I, I, I think totally you know, the, 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 yeah the the power of focus I think it, it's 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 important and it's uh I think it's underrated or it's, it's a rated skill to have. And I think one that, that I'm still building up a little bit. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's funny. Cause you know, I listen to a lot of podcasts and I try to, I think they're just a, a great way to get educated um, from, you know, if you, if you listen to the right ones and 
you know, they're around topics that you're interested in. And um, it's funny because I see like in real estate or even with some of the, you know, very like seasoned private equity funds that we work with where, um, you know, they do have that kind of core focus and they just, once they get into that, that sector, like they can basically at this point in time, you know, back of the napkin underwrite deals, right? Because they're so focused on what they do. They know it's so inside and out um, that, you know, as soon as an opportunity comes across their desk that they think they can quickly determine whether or not it's a fit or not, you know? And I think that that is something that's probably, you know, it, it comes with having success in an industry already. You know I mean? They've, they've done, they've acquired before they've successfully, you know, grown, and then maybe sold off these assets. So they know what it's like. They know what it takes. Um, but they've also, you know, just chosen something that not only they're interested in, but now they're building like a name for themselves in that space. So they get sent a lot more opportunities, right? And that's where, you know, if you're looking at one, you know, technology company, well, you know, it's easy to kind of get lost in that one deal. But if you have 10 options in front of you, Yes, you have to apply focus, but you can quickly narrow down, all right, of these 10, what are the one or two that are the 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 best for whatever reason? And then I'm going to only focus on those ones. And so I think that like all this stuff that we're talking about when it comes to focus, it's hard at the beginning when you're when you're looking to execute for the first time, but I think it just comes with, you know, maturity in the industry and maturity within that one sector where you can quickly just start spotting opportunity. And once you know what to look for, and once you can spot opportunity, I mean, there's enough opportunity and, and money in available companies out there and all these different industries to succeed. Is And that's that's at least what I've seen, not from someone who's done it, but when I watch some of these seasoned guys uh, that we work with, you know, and, and how they apply focus, that's it seems to be where it's coming from. Yeah, I'd, I'd have to agree with that observation. Um, I think that. You know, a searcher once told me that you, it's hard to have an industry thesis until you've been under an LOI with a company in that industry. So that I think that's an interesting piece of advice. And I think also just really yeah, thinking about you know, the industries that speak to you from a, a personal interest perspective and, and what right. gets you excited. And I, I think, you know, over the over several months, I've narrowed down to you know a few different areas that do get me excited and do get me, you know, pumped up. Um, mm -hmm. And, and it's, uh, I, I think now as, you know, as I sit, you know, six months in, into my search, I, I can ask myself the question, you know, how do I become the the preferred buyer in, in this industry? And I think there's so much power in that and, right. uh, you know, building a brand and telling a story and, uh, yeah, the, the storytelling piece is another piece that I think is an underrated skill and, and an important thing to think about as as you're starting a search and you know continuing to to hone as you as you get in the, to the middle of it. You know, I was I was just listening to your first podcast with with Brian, and I I think you guys faced kind of a similar question or you, what I loved about how you approached your work is that you continually refined your product you continually asked yourself you know what what story am i telling how am i selling my service and and making it better and better and listening to to customers or in my case sellers over time mm -hmm. and 
understand how they're reacting to you and understand what value you can provide and how how you can provide more of it and continue to give. Right. Yeah, no, it's 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 spot on. That storytelling thing is is really powerful when you can craft a story because you know, you're competing probably in, in some instances on whether you're competing with other potential buyers or you're just competing with um the general market or the the seller's other opportunities, which might be just to keep running their business or something. Um, you have to, it's not just about like, Hey, I have money, you know, let's talk. It's, you have to convince them that you're the person that is, should be responsible for taking over or buying a piece of, or buying the entirety of something that they've grown, you know I mean? Something that they've been a part of for a long time. And when you actually step back and think about it like that, you know, there is a lot of nuance to being able to, to have those conversations with someone who's selling a business. Um, and yeah, and I mean, coming back to what you were talking about, you know, with our podcast, Brian and I, something that we're always, I think that just the awareness of like, Hey, I can, there's always something I can learn from, um, you know, all right. I just got off a call with, uh, with, you know, in our instance, uh, a fund that we were pitching our, our services for, and, you know, maybe the call went really well, but like, what could we have you know, is there a wording that we could have used, like different wording? You know, at the beginning, we know what we do. We provide, you know, turnkey business development for private equity funds. I can say that now in my sleep, but before, you know, we continued to craft that, you know, rhetoric, um, it would take me 30 seconds to explain what we do. And in that 30 seconds, you may have already lost that person because they're like, wait, 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 what? You know, but now like just constantly refining who you are, what you do, what value you can add, being able to kind of pitch it concisely and with conviction, you know, again, that just kind of comes with really getting in there and going through the motions, right? You can't, you're not just going to, you know, hop on a bench press and start putting up 315. Like you got to do the reps. You got to do the reps. You got to do the reps. And that's one thing that is another big part of it too, is that I'm sure going into this, you might've been like, Hey, you know, I just got to find a couple of companies for sale and I'll, you know, I'll, I'll get one pretty quickly. And then it's like, no, you have to send out a lot of marketing materials, a lot of different, have a lot of different phone calls, go through a lot of different pitch decks, make probably quite a few offers, you know, even get under LOI a couple of times, and then maybe you'll find that one that fits. And it's like, oh, well, this is a little bit more nuanced than maybe I thought. Now, as someone who's agnostic, like we talked about this, um, what are other qualities, you know, obviously industry is one thing, but like qualities of a business that you have to look for before you even dive in? Like what, what things are you looking at? You know, here's a software company over here. Here's a HVAC company over here. You know, here's a oil and gas company <laughs> over here. What are the things outside of just the industry that you need to look for and see before you even go down a road of potentially pursuing? For sure, and yeah, yeah, I'd say I'm not I'm not a hundred percent agnostic, but uh, yeah, as as you can tell, very, very flexible and and open, and and have been right jumping around industries. But yeah, I think in general, what we're looking for is growth, health of the the revenue, uh, return on tangible capital, you know, capital efficient businesses. I think that's you know that's an underrated part, and then you know I think. Then connecting that with my, my non-economic preferences around, you know, the community I'm serving, uh, the the mission of the company, 
uh, you know, I think I've, I've been drawn to a health and wellness mission. I've been drawn to the idea mm -hmm. of supporting uh, industrial infrastructure and supporting human capital development kind of coming from my, my experience in, in education, uh, education tech. But yeah, I think, you know, I think the first, you know, economic criteria I look at from the company perspective is, you know, growth, revenue, health, and return on tangible capital. And then, you know, the second tier considerations would have to be, you know, customer concentration, uh, you know, the, the state of the competition, you know, the, the various, you know, the, the network effects that, that, that drive that business forward and will, will help that business continue to grow. Well, what, what value can I provide mm -hmm. to the company? Um, you know, I, I'm looking for companies that have a great product and maybe it's a, a great technical founder on the software side, but uh, they might need more support from a, a sales and marketing perspective where I'm coming from. Mm -hmm. So thinking about where I can add value and, and where I can you know, step in and as an operator, add value from, you know, if not from day one, at least from day, day 90 or a hundred as I, I learned the business. Right. Yeah, for sure. Now, do you have, let's say, for example, you know, you land on that company, right? All these things that you're talking about, you know, the stars align, it looks good. You know, you make an offer, you get an LOI under agreement. Um, you know, in, in, to this point, in talking to other searchers or, you know, just in throughout your journey, um, what are some of the important things to that, you know, or maybe what are some things that get overlooked, you know, during the diligence process of buying a company that, you know, oftentimes maybe other people aren't thinking about, you know, like uh, I know obviously there's, you have to do a lot of upfront diligence before you even make an LOI, but then you actually go into, buying the business, you know, and figuring, okay, I got this thing under LOI. What do, what do you need to look for at that stage in, in this journey? I, th I think once, once you're under LOI, it continues to be a matter of building relationships and building trust among mm -hmm. the management team and, or, or the, or the seller and, and the broker, um, I think I, I've heard searchers' stories in which they feel like they've they've overlooked certain things in order to get a deal done, and and I think you know it's important to to think about what some of those things are. Uh, some of them could be you know, as fundamental as the the character of the seller, right, and the ease with which to work with them. Uh, you know, just the extent to which they're a good person that can go just such a long way, I think, in, oh, for in sure. the success of a deal and a potential partnership. And I've seen, you know, deals fall apart deep, deep into diligence because of that. I've seen deals fall apart after diligence, after, you know, yep. you know, deal closes and then things get uncovered, whether it's illegal, fraudulent things, or it's things just as simple as, this is you know, a, a toxic individual that's created a really brittle command and control structure or right. a lack of trust among employees. So I, I, you know, I think that's something to, that I will also pay attention to. And yeah. it's something that, you know, might not be necessarily at the top of your list when you're, you're really focused on that 
that uh, those economic criteria and because there are only so many, so many companies that maybe fit, you know, recurring revenue, uh, strong growth, strong, the strong return yep. on tangible capital that, that, um, you know, it's easy to, to overlook the, the, the personal aspects. So I, I think that, I think that's important in diligence. I think, you know, developing trust, developing, you know, confidence that, you know, we're going to get this deal done at the same time. And, um, you know, providing quick answers. I think that's, yep. I think that's important. I think your point on trust and, and, you know, getting to know, um, the person that's selling the company is, is definitely, at least in my experience, you know, I've actually back, you know, prior to, to really full time had been looking at some companies to acquire potentially, you know, just in, you know, call it three, four years ago, maybe. And, um, in doing so, you know, it's easy to get caught up in the industry and maybe there's, you know, tailwinds to the industry. And like you said, the economics of the actual business themselves and just completely overlook the fact that like, there's another person that's currently running this thing and that you need to be completely aligned with them. And at least from like a character standpoint and from a, you know, Hey, what's the goal of this transaction standpoint. And, you know, now fast forward, working with, you know, a number of different buyers and working with them directly. Um, you know, we, we work with this one individual who won't even like step one is, you know, just get me on the zoom or get me on a, a phone call with the seller because I want to ask them direct questions. I want to get to know them. I want to see their cadence. I want to see their body language, like things like that, that, you know, this person's been buying companies for 20 plus years. And that's like their first criteria is that like, you know, the, the, I guess the, the pro forma and everything like that could look great, but that doesn't matter as much as hopping on the zoom and, and just talking to the individual that's selling this business. Because they've realized in their 20 years or two plus decades of doing this, how just important, like truly important that piece of this whole marriage is. And that's something that I, I would have overlooked, you know, if I, if I was out there um, shopping for for a business, I think I would have overlooked that completely. I'm glad we talked about it because you know it's one of those things where I think a lot of people that may be listening to the show, uh, yeah, at some point or another, um, are interested in you know getting involved in this maybe private equity space or doing a search fund type of of deal or maybe doing a bolt on for an existing company that they already own and. You know, I, 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 I'm, I'm happy you brought that up because I think that trust in the other, in the other side, is so important, and and just achieving success and what you actually want. Yeah, and I mean, it's an important consideration, especially when you think that we're on the clock. We, we, we need to get something done. We see something that, you know, our investors would, you know, gladly invest in based off of the, the financials and, and the sim that you put together. Right. But, but they're also trusting you to make that that character assessment. And that's mm -hmm. that's something to to keep front and center. For sure. Now, you know, we don't have to go down um, the accolades or anything like that, but you come from a pretty competitive sports family, correct? That I do. Um, yeah, it's uh, it's it's been pretty, pretty fun this yeah. last decade or so. No, it's awesome. I mean, a wild ride. So what is, you know. I know I'm asking you a lot of questions that revolve around kind of the same thing, but what have yeah, what is yeah. competitive sports, particularly you know 
I think it would be swimming for you guys. Uh, how has that made an impact on, you know, your business career? And then, you know, what, what, what kind of characteristics do you think you take out of that journey? You know, true competitive sports that, you know, you see as you now are stepping into potentially acquiring a company. You know, what type of characteristics do you think that that's playing those sports and, and going, having that upbringing is going to, you're going to bring forward to, you know, this new venture? Yeah. So for the audience's background, Katie Ledecky is my little sister. Uh, I could list up out all of her accolades, but, you know, AP Athlete of the Year last year, uh, all-time leader in most uh, combined Olympic gold medals and world championship gold medals for women's swimming, uh, 15 world records. Maybe I got that wrong. It depends on how you count it. Uh, and uh, yeah, as won you know, seven seven Olympic gold medals and three silver medals in her career. Um, so proud of her. We grew up swimming together, starting when she was about six years old. I was nine years old, just swimming for our local swim and tennis club. And uh, we got that, got into swimming mostly through our mom, who was also a competitive swimmer and a state record holder in North Dakota, and also have some pretty special sports connections on my dad's side of the family. My, my uncle's a co-owner of the New York Islanders. He was a, a minority owner of the Washington Capitals and Wizards when I was maybe five or six. So you know, we got early exposure going to a lot of pro sports games. And I think that had a, a pretty profound impact on, on me and my, yeah. my sister. And mm-hmm. yeah, we, we knew, we understood you know, what it meant to be a professional athlete early in our lives and who would have thought that you know my sister could actually make a career in professional swimming i you know i, <laughs> I yeah that's not not something there, there are maybe only a handful of folks on the planet that can really really sustain themselves just by doing competitive swimming it, uh, it's probably right. more these days but you just think about you know the the road that guys like like michael phelps paved for my sister as well growing right. up watching him swim in Maryland where we, we grew up in the DC area, mm-hmm. which, you know, I, I think, you know, also being just in the DC area, I think uh, has a powerful effect uh, being around so many you know, interesting people uh, mm-hmm. from you know, diverse backgrounds that, uh, you know, I, in, in an area where, you know, I think education is, super highly valued maybe sometimes even overvalued from a, a credential perspective but right. yeah that the bar is just really high and I, I think that was important for me and my my sister as we we grew up so you know yeah. as as far as you know i think that environment and my family i think you know, we, we are a family that um has you know a, a competitive uh, a, a competitive uh, mindset. Uh, I mean, we 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 like the idea of of stepping up and putting our best out there for the world and 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 setting goals and setting uh, you know challenges for ourselves and also thinking about you know how how we can you know make our make ourselves better as individuals and and also hopefully. Uh, you know, do do well by our communities and do do well by you know the people around us and and make the folks around us proud. 
And yeah, I, I think that goal setting mindset was maybe something that pushed me into the search fund world a little bit. Yeah. Being yeah. Like, you know, you're, you're going out, you're, you're setting a goal, you've got a timeline and it, 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 there was something about it that just felt, I guess, maybe more connected to my, my previous experience than the idea yeah. of just starting a new venture, even though you know, I, I'm sure I would have, you know, drawn lessons from swimming and, and, and my, my previous experiences if I were doing a startup. But I think it's uh, it, it does almost feel like I'm I'm behind the blocks right now, or I'm I'm either behind the blocks on the blocks or somewhere in the pool right now. <laughs> Hopefully, somewhere in the pool, getting uh, getting toward the the finish line. Uh, but it's uh, yeah, it, it feels like it, it feels like this is a, a distance race, and you gotta kind of have that have that mindset that you're you're trying to get better just a little bit every day right now. I mean, that's, that's what I'm trying to do right now with the search, just try to do, do something every day that, that gets me closer to that goal. And that I think was the mindset when I was swimming competitively and right. certainly my sister's mindset today as she's training for her fourth Olympics. Wow. Yeah. That's a, I mean, yeah. If you just do a quick Google search on that stuff, it's crazy. But um, no, going back to everything you just talked about, I think it's, you know, incredibly important. And I feel like that type of competitive upbringing, you know, be setting the bar high, um, you know, having mentors, you know, that that you can kind of look up to, like in, in your case, maybe parents, other competitive swimmers, you, you know, your uncle, uh, who are achieving big things. And, you know, you get to see that and kind of set that expectation. And then, realize that like hey these things don't happen overnight you know this is like the accomplishments are literally days and days and days and weeks and months and years compounded over and over and over again uh, to achieve that level of success you know and, and probably doing things when you don't want to probably you know working whether it's you know in the pool for hours and hours and or behind the computer you know looking through 10, 12 deals at a time, trying to figure out which ones, you know, are worth doing. You have that mentality kind of pre-built in you, I guess, as an athlete that, hey, these things take time. If you want to be the best, if you want to achieve what you're trying to set out to achieve, you know, you need to recognize that, um, yeah, you might have some God-given abilities, but, you know, in reality, anything that's been accomplished, you know, from a from a large and, you know, substantial, anything substantial, has has just been years of compounded day after day after day work, you know, and and I think that that those lessons that you know growing up even playing baseball and you know playing competitively in college, it's like we get class and then we practice for three hours, you know, either before or after every single day, and like sometimes those days just get meshed together because it's like Groundhog Day, but that's how you end up getting truly better at something. That's how you end up getting you know accomplishing not only that ability to play in high school, but then hitting when no one else is hitting and getting to the point where you can play in college. And I don't know, there's just so many different things that you can take away from having a background in that, that I think uh, I always am interested in hearing from people who, you know, have achieved athletic um, success and then now are, you know, transitioning that into more of the business world. Yeah. And I think the helpful part about the athlete's mindset is, is having a comfort with 
you know, chipping away little by little every day toward that that one day when you get that outsized achievement, that outsized accomplishment that makes you say, "This is this is all worth it." That uh, there were right. a lot of there were a lot of games or uh, you know, opportunities in life in which maybe the rewards feel a little bit more linear uh, relative to the the effort that you put forth. And right. I think it's uh, it's having that comfort of kind of you know, toiling away a little bit in obscurity for many months or many years, and then you know finally you know getting to that stage where all of a sudden you're winning gold medals and, and setting yeah. world records. You know, and you can deal with adversity too, right? Like, you know, if you take swimming, for example, like you're behind the blocks, you might not get that good start that you wanted, right? You not you might not have gotten that good initial push, but you still got to swim that race. Like, you just as that happened at the beginning doesn't mean the race is over. You know, what I mean, you still got to go and and accomplish it. And you know, if if you start out behind the eight ball a little bit, you got to try to work your way in the front. And I think that's another thing too is that like we're kind of used to you know, with an athletic mindset, um, dealing with adversity, dealing with things like, hey, this just isn't going our way. We, you know, first inning, we're down four to nothing. Well, we still have eight innings left to play this game. Like the time doesn't run out, you know what I mean? So we have to either pack it in and call it quits or figure out how we're going to grind out of this hole. And I think that mentality is, is especially personally for me in business, you know, it this is not an easy thing to do, like, you know, run a company or anything like that. And, most of the days are nothing big and exciting happens. You know, it's just like, I got to wake up and do the little things that go into hopefully one day that big, exciting thing happening. No, no so doubt. A couple more like, um, you know, just kind of not necessarily, personal, I guess personal questions, but so for you, you know, we're, we're both um, still relatively young for our business careers, but you know, Take me back to, I guess, when you uh, had just graduated college, um, you know, what's after being in the you know, the real world, I should say, for um, some time, like, what's some advice that you would give to your maybe 22, 23-year-old self, um, knowing what you know now? That's that's a great question, and I still reflect on that a little bit. It's it's easy to look back and, and, and think about, you know, what, what advice I would have given myself. And I, uh, there, there's a benefit to that, I think, in that it then you know you can think about how how to move yourself forward. And, and but okay, if that's the advice that I'm giving myself a few years ago, what what advice would I give myself today? And you know, what can I do to to be right, better right. as uh, as I feel like I am just getting started out I like that right mentality. now? And yeah. I'm uh, you know I'm 28. I'm going to be 29 in May. Uh, <laughs> It's uh, this was uh, you know, this it's been a really interesting learning experience being in this position. I think you know, looking back at you know me coming out of college, I wasn't sure exactly what I wanted to do. I didn't really invest much time into thinking about that in college. I, Damn. I, 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 you know, I did things in college that, looking back, I think helped me a lot and at least gave me a, a, you know, a great base of, of friends who I, I really value. I was on the school newspaper and, and the radio. I covered the men's hockey team. 
Mm-hmm. And I think I, you know, I still kind of take a, a journalist's approach to, to what I'm doing now. Mm-hmm. I, I came out of school and worked as a, a paralegal or a paralegal's assistant for about five months uh, for a, a, a constitutional law uh, law firm. And it was kind of a boutique practice that then got merged into Kirkland and Ellis. And around that time of the merger, I was considering you know, what pathways I could take and do I really want to take the LSAT and, and try to become a lawyer. And you know, I, I think that the business world started to call to me a little bit. I, I liked the idea of getting into to sports business, specifically coming from that sports journalist's perspective. Mm-hmm. And you know, I, I think I got some good advice from some folks that, that really pushed me to think about developing a skill set that was more oriented around scale around sales and and developing that base uh, early in my career and that wasn't something that I had given any thought to in college you know I, I think right. I might have thought of sales as more of a, a blue collar thing almost or something that you know people not coming out of Harvard College necessarily do right uh, but I think once I got into that position with uh, the company I joined, a company called Everfi based in DC, I think I, I just really loved the idea of having the opportunity to reach out to interesting people, have a conversation, be a journalist and kind of ask questions and, and get toward what their needs were and, and how we could help and framing an argument around how we could help. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I'm, I'm I'm very happy I made that switch. So you know, I think if I were to give myself advice, it would have been to have you know, been maybe a little bit more open, even in college, to thinking about developing that sales skill set and thinking about you know what other skill skills that I wanted to develop alongside that, whether that was finance or uh, people management, which are all things that you know, I think I, I developed a little bit later uh, after that move into to Aberfy. And I think to a certain extent, I'm still developing now and, and still yep. working on and, and being, I think, a lot more conscious of. And I think also, I would have advised myself in that early career seat to continue to push myself to think about, you know, how am I learning? How am I uh, developing my skills? You know, really using those five to 10 years out of college. I'm still less than 10 years out of college to, to, to optimize for learning. And yeah. I think that's that's something that, you know, you know, that's a responsibility that I think somebody coming out of college needs to accept for themselves and, and think about, you know, how can I individually push myself to learn? But then also how can I push myself to, or how can I push the, the folks around me, my, my mentors, my folks at work to, to give me more responsibility. If, if I feel like I'm not getting that structure to learn, go out and, and tell them directly, I need more structure to learn here. Or maybe it could, you could also maybe feel the, feel a, uh, the opposite problem, which is uh, feeling maybe too restricted and, and, and not having too much structure or not giving being given enough opportunities. And I think it's uh, an important balance of, of advocating for yourself and also seeking out opportunities, whether it's 
within the structure of what you're doing now and, and where mm -hmm. you are now in your career and your job or developing something outside of that job where that will continue to help you to, to learn and develop those skills that, that you've defined for yourself. Yeah, no, it's a great answer. I mean, once you're out of the structure of, I guess, school, right? Um, you know, there aren't really any parameters for you to continue to learn unless you set them for yourself, you know? So it's like, am I going to learn uh, outside of college on my own? Am I going to, you know, uh, attach myself to some sort of mentor figure and learn directly from them? Am I going to take a job that, you know, maybe is in a field that I'm really interested in, but know nothing about and learn that? Um, but it's kind of up to you, you know, at that point in your life to, to make those conscious decisions. You know, because no one's at that point, no one's really telling you what to do. You know, you don't have to show up for class every day. Um, I think that. I think that's super important, too. It's some really good, insightful advice uh, for sure. My last question for you, Michael, is simple one, but it always it always intrigues me. What's the best thing you think you bought for under one hundred dollars recently? I, I, this this was one that I was struggling with a little bit over lunch as I was <laughs> munching on my my ten dollar salad at uh, uh from from the upper it west could be side. The salad. It, it's not it could be I don't think I don't think it's the salad, but um <laughs> you know I'm not super materialistic. I feel like I <laughs> I I keep the same wardrobe uh maybe too long. I, I I'm not, you know, I probably pay probably spend most of my money on on food and maybe travel. Right. I think um, you know, one 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 thing I thought of, which is very personal to me, is uh, my my favorite band is The Hold Steady, which is a pretty uh, cult band. I feel like either you know who The Hold Steady are, and they're your favorite band, or you've, you've never heard of them. <laughs> yeah. I was actually just at a little concert they did last night at uh, after after they were on the Seth Meyers show. They played a little concert for maybe a hundred people. Wow. At uh, at a record store. In Manhattan, and uh, you know their typical tickets are maybe thirty dollars at uh, at a maybe a three thousand person venue. So these are they, they play smaller venues. Some people call them the best bar band in America. Yeah. They kind of take after Springsteen a little bit, who is my, yeah. my dad's favorite favorite artist, and and he's actually coming up to to New York to to see him and i'll i'll be there with him and oh, those, awesome. those those tickets are are, th are thousands of dollars but meanwhile the hold steady <laughs> ticket is is 30 dollars, and i feel like I, I just get so much joy out of seeing them them perform live and, and being part of that little fan base or community it's uh it, it actually is kind of a a, a niche community uh of of That's hold great. steady super fans i've got a friend down in, in florida every text about music all the time and uh, I think that's like a nice, nice little life hack to to find something where it's like, whether it's a band or or something else that's a little obscure that maybe not everybody appreciates and and just you know really diving in and uh, you know, taking a lot of joy from that. So uh, that that I think that might be my answer. A, <laughs> Good a, answer. A thirty dollar hold steady. <laughs> Good answer. I gotta check out this whole steady band. Yeah, I, actually, um, you might be able to see in my background. I've got their new album behind me. They, they, uh, they, they signed, they signed a CD for me, even though I don't really have a, a CD player. <laughs> but that's my, uh, that's in the background with my plant there. That's Impressive good, man. That's good. You remind me, do remind me of myself when you say you know not a material person. Like 
my answer to that question, which I don't think I've actually ever said on the show, would be I have this thing in my trunk. It's a I play golf, right? And I'm I'm getting okay at it, but it's a container of like 50 old beat up used golf balls that you can just drop in like a high school field and you can hit them and then you go pick them back up with the oh, with the I love it machine. This thing was like a literally a fifteen dollar yard sale item. Like, and I don't even go to yard sales, but I spotted this thing when I was driving by. I was like, I need one of those. I grabbed it. And I tell my wife sometimes, well, you could buy me like a $5,000 Rolex and I would like my little golf ball scooper better still. <laughs> like, like that thing like is all I really need after a long day of work. Just yes. go smack some around to high school. And like, I feel better about it. Oh, that, that's so There's satisfying. Little things that are, I love you know, that. You don't even spend a ton of money on some crazy thing. Like all I need is that little scoop and a seven iron and I can have a day. amazing i love it well look man i really appreciate you coming on and you know sharing your insights about the search fund world and and what you're going through right now and maybe what you're anticipating going through hopefully here soon in the future when you you know uh, find the right company and this has been awesome and i hope that you know maybe we can do this again uh in a a, you know maybe six months from now when you're hopefully uh heading a, a a new venture right a company that you just bought yeah, I'll, I'll call my shot right now. Let's uh, let's t- talk in six months and talk about operating a small business. I'd, I'd love that. <laughs> beautiful, beautiful, man. <laughs> well, look, enjoy the rest of the day. I really appreciate you coming on here and uh, looking forward to talking again soon. Really appreciate you, Joe. Thanks for the time. Thanks, man.